In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, fair warning, you, you may want to take some notes on this. Um, and But I'll also let you know that I'm going to put all of these notes online. Uh, so you can find it in, on our sermons page. If You can listen to it again if you want, but you'll find all the notes there as well. Um, what I want to talk about today is Go Love Together. Uh, a couple of months ago, our vestry and the clergy and the staff and several other uh, leaders in the church took a survey that the diocese asked us to take. It was intended to help us identify how healthy we are. It was based on the idea that all organizations, if they aren't attended to in a healthy way, will follow a trajectory that looks like this. It's a bell curve. It has a beginning and it has an end. And it, it always starts, churches always start, organizations always start, and our church in particular started with a birth. We were planted 41 years ago. Uh, all Souls Anglican Church used to not exist, and then it existed. Thanks be to God, right? Uh, this past year, by the way, we celebrated 40 years of All Souls. And Hal Taylor brought together a team of people that helped us to do that in March. We, If you'll remember, if you were here, we had a wonderful celebration, a great dinner to celebrate with guests that have been a part of the All Souls Extended Family for for a long time, and we had a wonderful celebration that Sunday. And I want to thank not only uh, Hal and his team, but the Lord for 40 years, and Hal and his team for that celebration. Thank you. Thank you, all of you that had a hand in that. Organizations, after they're born, if they're going to be an organization or a church, they go through a period of what we call incline. There's growth there. It's growth not only in numbers, but in excitement. Um, word spreads. People come. Lives are changed. Babies are born. Uh, baptisms happen. Just, you know, it, it just, it grows. Uh, then there always comes a point where a church, an organization, where all souls hits a point that you call recline. Now, recline isn't a bad thing. You have to take the time to say, wait a second, we have a lot more people than we used to. How do we manage this? We can't just fly by the seat of our pants anymore. We've got to have ways of doing things and best operating procedures. And, and it, it helps us to have certain classes that people go through, etc. Things like that. All souls. No church is exempt from this. No organization. No business is exempt from this. But you go from a period of growth to a period of evaluation, figuring out how do you manage. Then that is a fork in the road. And the fork in the road is either after this period of, of examining and, and maybe changing what you do and how you do it, do you step back into an incline by inviting more people, welcoming the community, having an impact on what's going on out there? Have your choices put you in a position of, of growth and impact in the kingdom of God? And the reason I ask that is, are there people out here like this morning that don't know God, don't go to church? Does God want to be known by them and for them to have a family? 
then we're under orders, right? Okay, so your, your, the choices that happen at a period of recline can either put you back into that ministry or the other fork in the road is that you basically just, just manage what you have and eventually you go through what's called a decline. And the decline is, is where um, the, the numbers can decrease. There might be less life change, although the, the people can be very faithful people. But it's possible for churches to get stuck in the, well, we've always done it that way mode, even though that way doesn't bring the life change it used to. I don't know if you've ever seen that happen. But it, that, that doesn't mean that things are over for a church. But if that's not attended to, then eventually it dies out. Whatever organization it is, if you don't meet the challenges to get back onto doing what it is that you're called to do, then eventually you stop doing it and you aren't there anymore. Right? Now. After taking this survey, uh, it, it, it brought up that All Souls is probably somewhere around here. We're in what's called early decline. Now, that is not a bad thing if we attend to it. It is a bad thing and a dangerous thing if we don't. Now, attending to it, like I said, a healthy organization can get back to recline and incline if we approach it in a healthy manner, uh, we can adapt strategically and, and grow and have an impact on this community and continue to do that. Now, uh, but the question is how? And so for this year, we're going to adapt a, a simple phrase that is supposed to help us help remind us of what it is that we're called to do. It's found in the directions and, and the wisdom that Jesus shared with his disciples so that we can get back to the incline of being about our Father's business. Say it after me. Go love together. Go love together. One more time, let's say it. Go love together. Now, this is meant to remind us of several things. The Great Commission, the Great Commandments, and the Great Community. So let me just tell you quickly what we're referring to at that point. Go it is meant to remind you of the Great Commission, where Jesus says in Matthew 28, he talks to his disciples, he says, guys, I want you to go. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've told you to do. All right, go is a reference to that. Go is, is the call that we have to be his disciples so that we can make other disciples out of people that aren't disciples yet. We're going to come back to that. Love is a reminder of the greatest commandments that we have. Jesus was asked at one point, said, Master, teacher, rabbi, you know, there are a lot of commandments out there. What do you think is the most important? And Jesus said, oh, without doubt. And this comes out of Mark 12. Most important commandment, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. But he said, there's a second one. 
that also falls into that category. Love your neighbor as yourself. Church, we're called to do that. This is who we are. This is our character as the people of God, is we worship him and we serve others. That's the best way to love God. Build our lives around him. Uh, Make him the most important and the central part of who we are, both as individuals and as a congregation. And we're called to serve each other. We're called to serve the ones here in the family. We're called to serve those who aren't yet in the family. That's what we do. And love is meant to remind us of the greatest commandments. The together part talks about the great community. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he's, he's instituted and transformed the Passover feast into uh, another kind of memorial that's centered around him. And then before he's arrested, you know, and they're walking uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane. If you've ever been in Israel, they go walking down into the valley and kind of up over on the other side. And somewhere along the way, he's praying. And this prayer from John 17, he's talking to his father. He says, I pray that they, that these disciples that I have, that all the disciples that are yet to come, that they will all be one, that they'll be united, that they'll love each other. As you and I are one, Father. As you're in me, Father, and I'm in you. And they may be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. In other words, this togetherness, this community that we're supposed to have is supposed to be something where, where we are intentionally spending time together so that we can live life deeply together in such a way that People who don't know God look at us and say, I want to know what they know. What is different about these people? Go love together. Um, Like I said, I want to come back to the go part of this. Because the scriptures that we have today, especially in the gospel, lead us into this. And I, I think it's worth spending just a little bit more time on. Be honest, whether you're a church person or not. This may be the first time you've set foot in church in a while. We're glad you're here. But be honest. What, what's the first thing that comes to mind? It's probably something uncomfortable when you hear marching orders that say, go and make disciples. Is it comfortable? I'll tell you what I think about. I, and I don't like it. I, I just got to let you know, I don't like it. I think about... Being on street corners and walking up to strangers and confronting them and, and asking just invasive questions so that hopefully they go, wow, Jesus must be real. I want to follow him. And they hit their knees on the street corner. Now, that has yet to happen to me. I'm not saying it doesn't have a place. I'm not saying it doesn't have. There's a place for that. It, I'm sure that, that it happens. It may have happened with, with you. That may be your story. I don't know. It wasn't my story. But we have this, this picture, and some of this picture of, of, of that comes from what we read in the gospel today in, in Matthew 4 about how the first disciples came to be followers of Jesus. It appears that they just, out of the blue, some dude shows up, uh, on the, the shore of the lake and says, hey, follow me. And we guess, well, maybe because he was God, I, I don't know what it was, but they were compelled to follow him. So they did. And I want to tell you, that's not the truth. 
that coming to be a follower of Jesus is something that typically takes time and encounter and activity, but it's stuff that we can participate in. Okay? So here's what we're told. Matthew 4, uh, starting in verse 18. And this is going to give you the impression that this just happens Spur of the moment. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, a big lake in northern Israel, you can go there, he saw two brothers, Simon. By the way, we also call Simon Peter, because later on he's known as Peter. And Andrew, who was his brother, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Oh, okay. Jesus called out to them, hey, come, follow me, I'll show you how to fish for people. And what do they do? Out of the blue. They're like, sounds like a good deal. And they left their nets at once and followed him. And we get the impression, boy, that's supposed to happen when we tell people about Jesus, right? And, and, and because it happens again. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John. By the way, James and John, Peter and Andrew, they were partners in this business. It was owned by James and John's father. James and John, they're sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And Jesus calls for them to come too. And what did they do? Immediately, they followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. We're like, wow. I guess we're just supposed to go out and tell people, you know, or ask them, hey, if you died today. And they'll go, I'll follow I don't want to discount that. That might be your story. It wasn't my story. Okay? So, we'll get to that. Now, um, uh, let me take you back in, in time. Last week, we read about the baptism of Jesus. And I just want you to think about a few things. When Jesus was baptized, it says that uh, before he was baptized, he didn't do anything special. The most special thing Jesus ever did was he evaded his parents for about three days and he's asking good questions in the temple when he's 12 years old. He hadn't done any miracles. He hadn't started any ministry. Nothing. Jesus is just a dude up until this point. And he's baptized and it says when he comes up out of the water that the Holy Spirit comes on him in the form of a dove. So evidently there are people that saw it. It's like, it looked like a dove. I don't know. It comes on and there was a voice from where? Heaven. What did the voice say? This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Before he did a thing. Now, who heard the voice? You got to figure it was more people than Jesus. Luke talks about it. Luke, Luke says, Luke was a historian. He says, when he starts out his... his uh, uh, biography of Jesus, he starts out and says, I interviewed people. I wanted to find out what the truth really was so that you could be sure that what I'm writing to you is, is right on. So I interviewed eyewitnesses. So that means there were eyewitnesses of this voice that comes from heaven. I don't know who heard. I don't know how many of them, what percentage of the crowd heard. I have no idea. But people heard. If you heard a voice like that, that, other, you know, let's figure other people heard it too. Do you think people were talking about that? I figure they were too. What's the first thing that Jesus did after he was baptized? He goes into the desert for 40 days. So for about a month and a half, Jesus disappears after this huge introduction to the people of Israel. 
So for 40 days, you figure people are talking about it? I figure people are talking about it. This is a pretty big deal. This voice from heaven says, this is my son. Whoa, God has a son? We were, we were told this was going to happen one day. Who was it? I don't know. Maybe it was John. I saw this guy. I don't know who he was. I don't know where he is now. We'll find him. I don't know where he, you know. Can you imagine the conversations that were going on for a month and a half? When Jesus, after a month and a half of people talking about this, you've got to figure they were talking about it, don't you? After a month and a half, Jesus comes back. We know that he came back and he's hanging out with John for at least a day because we have this account of John pointing him out and saying, Hey, look, in the crowd, there's the Son of God. He's also called the Lamb of God. Now, somebody was there who heard that named Andrew. Who was Andrew? Peter and Andrew, right? The two brothers, the two fishermen. Andrew was a disciple of John. Andrew probably heard the voice 40 days earlier. And now John is saying, yep, that's the one. And as we're told, Andrew left John. He and a buddy go and follow Jesus and spend the day with him talking to him. So they spend a day with Jesus. And they come out of that saying what? What's the first thing Andrew did at the end of the day? He goes and finds his brother Peter. He's not called Peter yet. They called him Simon. He goes and finds Simon and says, Simon, we have found the Messiah. So whatever this conversation was that Andrew had with Jesus that day, he walked away like, this is the guy. This is the, this is the king. This is the one that God called. This is God's son. Andrew was in. Peter, do you think he was in right away? D hit his knees. Oh, what must I do to be saved? No. In fact, it was, it was another 12 chapters. It was Matthew 16 before Peter figures it out. Peter's called the disciple. He doesn't figure it out for a while. But he came and he spent a day with Jesus. The next day, he's hanging out with Jesus. Then we're told that at some point, uh, John is sent to prison. And that's when Jesus takes off and heads north. We also find out that Peter and Andrew and James and John, they'd gone back to work. They were up in the north of the Sea of Galilee. They were fishermen. They were back up there. Jesus goes. He hangs out in in Nazareth on the way. He starts teaching in synagogues. It, It says that rumors about him and news about him spread throughout the whole region because he's teaching in synagogues and, and people are wondering who he is. And some are saying, is this the guy about the voice? And so do you think that Peter and Andrew and James and John heard about this news that spread through the entire region? It's a small country. I'm betting they heard. Right? So how long did that take for, for him to make his way up to Capernaum where they lived? I don't know. A week? Two weeks? So we're at least into this for two months. Minimum. Two months they've had this talks about Jesus and who is he and meeting him. And, oh, I think he's the Messiah. Well, I'm not sure. And But there's news about it. So they show up in Capernaum. We know that Peter and Andrew lived there. Peter was married his mother-in-law was there. You can go and visit the house right now. I mean, if you got on a plane, go to Israel. They say, we're, we're pretty sure about 80% chance this is the house where they lived. You can go and see it. So it says that Jesus spent every Sabbath day in the synagogue teaching. 
How long did that go on? I don't know. For, for them to say something like every Saturday? It probably happened more than one Saturday, probably more than two Saturdays, maybe more than three. I mean, who knows? Let's say it was at least two. We're two and a half months into this. In the hometown where Peter and Andrew and James and John live, they're going to church every Saturday. They're getting to know him. They're listening to him teaching. In fact, they got to know him well enough that after service one day, James and John go up to him and say, Hey, can you come? Did you notice that Peter wasn't here? Yeah, his mother-in-law is sick. Will you come and do a pastoral visit? And Peter goes, walks down the block, and goes into the house, and what does he do? Y'all who have been in church for a while, you may know this. Huh? He heals mother-in-law, right? He heals her. Okay, here's the deal, y'all. People don't just come and start deciding to follow Jesus out of the blue. People hear about Jesus first. They, they, there are probably a lot of folks out here that have heard about Jesus, but there are a lot that haven't. Maybe your role in their lives is going to be, as you're talking and living your life, they're going to hear about Jesus. But somehow they hear about Jesus, then they get interested. They want to start finding out, okay, all right, well, who is this guy? Some people say he's pretty important. I don't know, you know. And you can invite him to come. Wherever you, you're spending time with Jesus, take him. Could be church, could be Alpha. Alpha is such a wonderful place. We're starting in Alpha at the end of next month. Alpha is a wonderful place for people that don't know, especially people that don't know, to come and find out. People that don't know much can find out more. It's, it's not, we're not teaching theology as much as we're giving people a chance to ask questions. It's a wonderful thing. Please invite people to come to Alpha. Invite them to come to church. Invite them to come to your small group. Invite them to go to dinner and to coffee. Invite them to meet your friends. Invite them to hang out. They need to hear. They need to be able to ask questions. At some point, Jesus starts getting involved in their lives in some pretty unusual ways. He got involved in in Peter and Andrew's life. Healed mother-in-law. That's pretty intense, right? They were getting to know him. They were seeing who he was and listening to, 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 to what he had to say and figuring out what his character was and, and spending time with him. And then the next thing that we know is, is later on, Jesus teaching. A lot of people are following him because they're kind of catching on. This is, this is a pretty good guy to be around. And they're walking along the lake shore. And there's so many people that when Jesus sees Peter's boat, he gets in the boat just so he can have a little space so he can talk to, the, to everybody. Then he says, hey. I want to go to work with you. Let's go fishing. And people will start finding out, y'all. I don't know. Maybe this is your story. Not only does God meet you in church on Sundays, God starts showing up in your everyday life. Do you remember the first time that God showed up in your everyday life? Well, here's Jesus showing up in Peter's everyday life. And it was so significant, they hadn't caught anything all night. I won't tell you the whole story. But they caught so much, they thought the boat was going to sink. Peter looks at it and says, this is a miracle. This stuff doesn't happen. I've never seen this before. And that's when, when Peter hits his knees and says, I don't deserve you to have you in my boat. Good thing he didn't kick Jesus out right then. But he's like, I don't deserve this. 
You know what? People start finding out once they start spending time with Jesus and he starts showing up in their everyday lives. They start to figure out who he is. And he's different. He's not just a teacher. This is somebody that that you hit your knees in front of. And it was after that that Jesus said, well, Peter, why don't you come with me? And that's when Peter said, okay. And still, it was 12 more chapters before he really figured out who Jesus was. See, these things take time, y'all. It takes relationships. It takes, it takes people being willing to go where people are. And if we are intent, if we want the kingdom of God to grow through all souls and to, to turn from decline back to incline, we're here to know Christ. We're doing a real good job of that. And to make him known, we've got to be intentional about that part of it, too. But God ain't done yet. He is not done yet. He has a way of showing up in our lives. Now, the, the question is, where do we go at the fork in the road? It's so easy for us just to stay to, together and to love each other and, you know, and to grow deeper together. But let me tell you what. When we have new life among us, because somebody's invited somebody and they come and people are like starting to figure out, whoa, this Jesus stuff is real. It changes the whole church. Having babies changes the family, y'all. Can I hear it? Yeah. We got a new baby in, in, in the Russo and, and uh, Stowe family. Is, is, is something happening in your family? I mean, has everybody got a little... How you're, you're a part of this. Is it like a little extra charge of what's going on? Absolutely. Charged up, right? Babies. It charges up the whole family. Y'all, we need some babies. We need some babies. We do. We do. Yeah, be careful about how you interpret that, right? <laughs> okay? We need a BHAG. Y'all, have y'all ever heard of BHAGs? B, if you know what it is, say it with me. It's a big, hairy, audacious goal. These are goals that, that we can't do. We can't accomplish this. This is a God-sized goal. All right? Big, hairy, audacious goals are something that only God can do. If he doesn't get involved, it doesn't happen. Now, he doesn't do it without us. Farmers have to do what? They have to plant a seed. They have to water it and weed it. Can they make it grow? No. Who makes it grow? God, does God make it grow if we don't plant it and water it? No, sure doesn't. It's got to be planted and watered. We have our part. God has his. We can't do what he does. He rarely does anything without our participation. So I'm asking you to participate in this BHAG. I've been talking with Paige. Paige has a BHAG. Paige, I don't know if you're in the room. Are you in the room? There she is. She's in the back. Y'all give thanks for our children's minister. You've got a good thing going on. Here's the, can I share this? Good, because it's on the slide. Thank you for saying yes. Here's the BHAG. She's praying for, and I'm joining her in this, 35 more children in children's ministry this year. Is that a BHAG? That's a big, hairy, audacious goal in my book. It ain't going to happen without God, but it sure ain't going to happen without us. Now, 
before you think, oh, all you care about is kids, no. Children have parents and grandparents, don't they? Grandparents have children and grandchildren, don't they? Parents have children and their own parents, don't they? I don't care who you invite. We are a multi-generational church, a multi-generational family, and there's room for everybody. We want them all. We want, we want everybody out here to come to know Christ and to make him known. That's what, right? This is just, this is just kind of a sign of it. Okay? I don't care who you invite. I don't care how old they are, how young they are, how middle-aged they are. <laughs> Something about middle age is funny, evidently. <laughs> You're right, it is. (laughs) But what if God works in the midst of this? We have 35 new children in children's ministry this year. How many other people are we going to have in this family? More than 35, I'll tell you that. More than 35. Um, There are other big hags that uh, that we'll talk about in, in the upcoming weeks. But this is one I want you to join in on. And we need you if, if we're going to pull this off. We need you to be inviting. Inviting people to what we do. Inviting people to Alpha. Inviting their families to come. Because if you're here, if you found something good, share it. Right? We want families in this church family. We're already making steps to change from decline to incline. Alpha is a big part of that. It's a big part of helping to make disciples. Uh, we're, we're doing marriage enrichment seminars and, and classes. Uh, we're doing, uh, we've done Dave Ramsey financial courses. I, I, we're, I'm hoping that we're going to be doing all these this year. His big house is, is a big deal, y'all. Get involved in his big house. It is worth your time. There are lives being changed in this big house on Saturdays. Get involved in small groups. That's part of our together thing. Bring people to your small groups. We're doing advertising in the community. We have people, and and thanks be to God, you know, when people figure out, oh, there's a community church here. We've had folks just walk in just because of the mailings that they've got. Not a lot, but but a few are, are coming in. That's good because when they get here, they get welcomed by a family. We get comments all the time about how warm people are here, how, how family-like it is, that they felt accepted and noticed and, and all that. We've, we've got the building blocks. What we need is for people to go love together. Go love together. We want 35 new kids in, in children's ministry because we want lives to be changed. For the rest of their lives. We want their parents here. We want their grandparents here. Because I know you. And you know Jesus. And there's no better way to build your life. Than to build it around the one who has given us life. Lives change when people come to know him. And it happens over time. I'm not asking you to go and do street evangelism. But if you're called. God wants you to go and do it. He knows what he's doing. But in general, it's all about being doing what Andrew did. Come and see. Come and see. Amen. Great commission, great commandments, great community.
Let's pray. Father, we submit all this to you. You love these people that are outside of our doors right now. You love the people we work with, that we live next to. You love them. And, oh, God, we want them to, to know you and follow after you because we have found that you have changed our lives and made our lives worth living in a brand new way. We want to share that. So, Lord, uh, we pray for 35 new children in the children's ministry this year and all the assorted parents and grandparents to be a part of this community because we have something worth sharing because you've given it to us. And it's all about you. Help us to go love together in 2020. Amen. Amen.